Once upon a time, there was a young student, a mamamsika, who had just finished his studies. He received high marks, and he graduated at the top of his class. Armed with an exceptional knowledge of Sanskrit and the Vedas, he ventured out into the world, roaming the kingdom to find enemies of the Veda whom he could vanquish using reasoning. This is how an unusual play starts. It's Much Ado About Religion, or the Agama Dambara, by Bhatta Jayanta, a Nyaya philosopher writing in the late 9th to early 10th century. Actually, the play doesn't start with our young student, but it starts with a prologue, where actors play the director and his assistant. They complain, Jayanta's play doesn't follow the usual format, and indeed it doesn't. It's mostly a series of debates, more like the dialogues of Socrates than a Shakespeare play or a play of Kalidasa. But the director's real worry seems to be that he's chosen a career that takes him away from the truth because it involves illusion. So just like that, he quits acting and he joins a monastery. It's an odd start to a play indeed. Today on the podcast, I'm going to tell you a story. There's no romance or sword fighting or monsters to slay, but there are debates and ascetics and religions to defend. And at the end of it all, there's an unlikely philosophical hero. I'm Malcolm Keating, and you're listening to Sutras and Stuff. Let's go back to our student. He's wandering Kashmir. He's looking to pick a verbal fight. There are plenty of options for him. The kingdom is home to Buddhists, to Jains, to Nyaya philosophers, to devotees of the god Shiva, and to Vedic exegetes known as Mimamsakas. Our student is one himself, as I've said. That means he's someone who believes that the Vedas are without an author. Now, all of these groups didn't get along, and they were trying to bend the ear of the king to keep their temples open and funded, since the king was fond of taking money from them and the people in general. And in this religious and political turmoil, a new group was rising up. This group was known as the Black Blankets. And they were being persecuted for their religious practices, which supposedly involved a male and female couple sharing a single piece of dark clothing, hence their name, the Black Blankets. And the rumor has it, the men and women did more than just share the robe. So against this tumultuous background, our student, Sankarshana, wanders around looking for people to debate. He says, Until I humiliate the enemies of the Veda, who dirty their speech, with incessantly brandished, pernicious argumentation, the efforts I made in my studies will seem frustrated. So he begins with some Buddhists. Wandering into their monastery, he approaches Dharmotara, who's a Buddhist monk. And he tells Dharmotara that the Buddhist doctrine of the Four Noble Truths is incoherent babble. The monk, in turn, tells him that the student's mind has been muddied because he thinks sacrificing animals leads to salvation. A crowd forms, watching them quarrel. And the crowd says they'll judge a debate, but only if the debaters agree to avoid fallacies and not to use rough words. They have to speak and act like virtuous people. Sankarshana and the monk agree, and the student, Sankarshana, summarizes his understanding of the monk's argument. Dharmotara says sarcastically, well, it's okay, at least as a summary. But it's important to note here that the fact that the graduate can restate his opponent's argument is an important feat. If he couldn't, he would have lost the debate just at the outset. An inability to restate your opponent's views in an acceptable way is a point of defeat, which we've talked about already in episode 8. 
So what is the Buddhist thesis? Well, it's this. Things are momentary because they exist. Dharmotsara argues that if we come to understand the momentary nature of everything, including that supposed self that Brahmins are so fond of, well, then we can achieve nirvana and the end of suffering. Our student points out a problem for the thesis. The reason that the monk has given for momentariness of everything is because they exist. But he hasn't given an example, and the student says he can't. So remember our smoke and fire inference. I can argue that there's fire on the hill because there's smoke. At least as long as I can show you that smoke reliably indicates fire. To do this, I gave examples of other cases, and these are cases that are different than the site we're arguing about, which is that hill that we're both looking at. But in the monk's thesis, the site that we're arguing about, it's all existing things. So he can't give an example that isn't part of the site. It would be as if I tried to prove that smoke indicates fire by pointing to that distant hill where you and I are seeing smoke rise. In English, that's called begging the question, and it's a fallacy in English and in Sanskrit. After this opening, the rest of the debate is all downhill for our poor Buddhist monk. And not surprisingly, since this is a Nyaya philosopher writing the play, and he thought Buddhists were radically misguided. Sankarsana argues that if the monk is right, then even causes are momentary and hence non-existent. And that means that there's no way to understand how the Buddhist path can cause someone to attain nirvana. At a certain point, the monk just starts drawing on the ground. He's sullen silent. Some of the onlookers start throwing insults like crossbreed and camel-faced, but they settle down and then the debate continues. And the graduate, the student, continues pointing out fallacy after fallacy. Eventually, the monk just refuses to say anything. He just sits and he sulks. Sankarshan is elated and he asks the judges, Judges, who do you think is one? The judges say, well, we don't even need to make a judgment. The fact that the monk is silent means you, Sankarshana, have won. And so our excited student, in a parting shot, he tells the assembled group, hey, everybody, you should stop being monks. Your attempts to make things better, well, they're just doing the very opposite of that. But then he adds sarcastically, well, you know, if you want to just make a quick buck, you should just keep right on going. And with that, he leaves looking for others to vanquish. Our ambitious student next encounters a Jain monk, <laughs> but this Jain monk just runs away after a few minutes of debate saying, oh, I've um, I got somewhere to be. And well, you know, look, look at the time, it's getting late. Sankarsana, after having his debate partner run away from him, encounters some other aesthetics and maybe they're Jains. They're, they're pulling their hair. Some of them are walking around naked. Some of them are wearing clothes made out of bark. Under his breath, Sankarsana insults them, but out loud he says, look at what a pleasant place you have here where you're performing all of your ascetic practices. As he's talking to them, at just that moment, the notorious black blankets enter the scene. They're singing. What are they singing about? They're singing about sex, and they're singing about how other religious practices are useless and just lead to people starving themselves. So you'd think our student, Sankarsana, would leap at the chance to debate these people but he refuses to even talk to them. And that's because if he did, he'd have to perform intense penances to remove the impurity that would result from that contact. So instead, he watches them sing and dance. He watches them cavort under their robes, which the men and women share as couples. 
While Sankarsana looks on aghast, he tells his servant, who's traveling with him, how terrible these ascetic practices are. They're threatening to overtake society. Women might leave their husbands, and society's norms and structures will all be broken to pieces. The student realizes he has to do something. He can't just sit there, but he can't debate them either. So he decides he's going to go see the king. After all, the king has someone in his court named Bhatta Jayanta, who is virtuous and knows the Vedic scriptures. So our student Sankarsana and his servant head to the court of the king. If this were a movie, we'd now fade to black and a caption would appear a few weeks later. In this movie, the camera would pan through a cemetery at night. We'd see shadowy figures gradually come into focus. Getting closer, we'll see these are ascetic practitioners. They're wearing robes, they're huddled together in the darkness. These aren't black blankets, though. They're followers of Shiva, and they meet in funeral grounds to perform rituals. They're very worried because they've heard that a Mimamsa student named Sankarsana has informed on the black blankets. And this student, well, he's gotten lots of rewards from the king. He's gotten a wife, he's gotten married, he now has a title, he gets to wear a turban, and he's now in charge of the Bureau of Religion. These Shaivites that are worried in the funeral grounds, they practice what's known as left-handed tantra. And that's why they're so worried. Because they do things like drink alcohol, they eat meat, they have sex with women. And all of these practices are ways that they, they pursue in a sort of ritual way to increase their supernatural powers. But after what Sankarsana has done to the black blankets, they're worried that they're going to get beaten up and tossed in jail or maybe even worse, killed. So they decide that they're going to leave the kingdom. They move cautiously, only at nighttime, out of fear of being taken by the king. And now that this crackdown on black blankets has begun, the rest of the Shaivite religious leaders in the kingdom are worried. How many of them will be next? What is to distinguish the black blankets from the left-handed Shaivites from the Shaivites who follow other practices? The king is himself a follower of Shiva, but he's been influenced by this upstart Mimamsa student, along with his Nyaya advisor, Bhatta Jayanta. So, during this time, to allay these worries, Sankarsana travels to a Shaivite monastery. He's going to talk to Dharma Shiva, who's the abbot, and he's going to calm his worries. So Dharma Shiva and Sankarsana begin to discuss religion. They start talking about the king's rule, which they both agree is, is marvelous and wonderful. But as they start to talk, they're interrupted. A Charvaka philosopher named Vridhambi enters. He's an atheist. He's a materialist, and he thinks that the Vedas are foolish prattle. He charges in. He's ready to debate both Dharma Shiva and Sankarsana. He wants to show how foolish they are, and he wants to convince the king to toss out not just the black blankets, but the rest of these religious hypocrites. What will Sankarsana do? He's no fan of the Shaivites. I mean, after all, their ideas about the Vedas, in his mind, are totally wrong. The Vedas, they have no author. And this Shaivite abbot, he foolishly thinks that there is an author. But the Charvaka materialists are also totally wrong. Is he going to defend Dharma Shiva? Will he take on a debate between both of them? How will the king respond to the outcome of the debate, whatever it is? 
Join me next time for this season's final episode of Sutras and Stuff for the conclusion of Much Ado About Religion.